some breakfast bowls for dinner tonight on my way to Some people were asking me, what's a breakfast bowl? And they were wondering if you like pile like pop tarts and syrup and what's your bowl? It's actually when you have like eggs and hash browns and some like good veggies. And then you make it like this omelet uh, casserole of goodness and thing with cheese. And so uh, we have that to look forward to. And it's cornbread. Thank you guys. But, um, was that an accurate description? She would have given me credit for it. I would run my race in like the warm up and then be totally cooked, like emotionally. 
Haley by the time I actually got on the starting line. And my senior year, he gave me this card, and on the card, he knew me so well, he said, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests in the Lord. And I was like, oh man, what a great verse. That's from the book of Proverbs. Sometimes when I go to preach, I can self-sabotage myself, because I'll be like so ready to go on a Sunday morning especially. Uh, you guys don't make me that nervous anymore. Uh, <laughs> and I'll just tell myself, be like, hey, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests in the Lord. And I just trust it to God. Man, that sticks with me. Craig also cracked me up. One time, we went on this mission trip, uh, not a mission trip, we went on a summer camp. And as part of this summer camp, we went on a whitewater rafting trip. And Craig somehow got totally screwed and put in this raft with a bunch of like AF junior high kids. And I had a raft of all like juniors and seniors as I was leading them. And uh, these kids were classic like dippers. Uh, they would take their paddles and dip them in the water instead of actually paddle. They were so lazy. And so there's this kid in Craig's raft, and his name, uh, we'll call him Johnny, but his last name was Finger, Johnny Finger. And he was the middle of five children, so he was appropriately the middle finger. Uh, this kid was kind of a lot. And so uh, halfway through this trip, Craig was just like, a, he's a great guy, great guy, but he was so frustrated with these guys just dipping their paddles. Johnny Finger all of a sudden decides to start paddling, goes like this, on his back swing, smacks Craig in the face. <laughs> Craig stands up and goes around, screams a profanity, and yells, I'm gonna kill you! And this kid, he's supposed to be leaning in his rap. And, uh, man, it was so funny, because Craig was like the most genuine and heartfelt guy, and he was absolutely devastated, like, three seconds later, but there is no way he was gonna, like, filter out that reaction. And, mentors that have an impact on us are real people, aren't they? Uh, Christian robots who always seem to have it together and never have any real struggles and every answer comes easy to them, they're not the people that uh, stick most with me when I think about the people who have been most impactful in my life. It's those people who are really real, genuinely walking with Christ, and they show that they care about me. Uh, I'm sure that that's true of you when you think about those mentors who have made a lasting impact on you. Our mentors, they can impact the choices we make, uh, the path that we choose, the way that we relate to others. And so in this series, we're, we're really studying the words of a mentor to his protege, so to speak, Paul to Timothy. Uh, Paul was a prominent leader in the early church, you may know, and so he took Timothy, this young believer, under his wing, and he mentored him. They were so close that Paul even called Timothy my true son in the faith. These guys were tight, so they, they had traveled all across the Mediterranean region together. They were planting churches. Uh, and they really went through a lot. You may remember at one point in his ministry, the Apostle Paul was punishment for preaching the gospel, stirring up this big ruckus about Jesus. He was put under house arrest in Rome. That's a great way to keep him quiet, put him under house arrest. Uh, he was eventually released, but during that time in house arrest, Timothy stayed with him. Timothy just stayed with him, kept him company. And then when they went back on the road, they visited a lot of those churches they planted, and Paul saw that the church in Ephesus needed some serious help. If you don't know anything about Ephesus, it's in Turkey nowadays. At that time, it was a major city, a huge city in that region, about 250,000 people. And so people flocked there from all over the region. This church needs some help, and so Paul asked Timothy to stay there and be the pastor as that church expanded and sought to proclaim the gospel. When you plant a church in a city like that, you have influence over the entire region, and so it was important that church was ministered to well. And these letters that we're going to read, 1st and 2nd Timothy, these are Paul's thoughts to this young leader on how he can lead these churches well. And it's also some 
recruitment that Timothy would have needed as he served to be that pastor. That would be an isolating role in such a large church to take that responsibility on all by himself. And so tonight we're going to be in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. Uh, something that you need to know to really understand this passage well is the context. And that's that Ephesus was really a diverse place. People there lived by a lot of different ideologies. It certainly wasn't a place where people would have been exclusive in their view of life, lining up with the Christian worldview. There really would have been a lot of diverse thoughts. And so part of Paul's teaching to Timothy here, part of his encouragement is, look, Timothy, you have got to ground your people in the truths of the gospel. We've got to get the essentials straight. He says, build them up in sound doctrine. Doctrine is right understanding of the truth. Build them up in sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel. The gospel, that's the essential message of the Christian faith. To give you the spark-nosed version of the gospel is that God has created us as human beings in his own image. He's made us to represent himself and to show other people what he is like. And so he's made us in his own image. He's created us with the capacity for a relationship with him and with one another. But we've chosen to follow our own way. We're lost in sin, but thank God he hasn't left us to ourselves. He sent us Jesus Christ, his own son, that we might know him, that we might see what God would live like himself if he had skin on. We can look to Jesus and see what God would look like. And so, in Jesus Christ, God has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin and to be in right relationship with him. That changes the way that we view life. We're people on mission to proclaim the good news. That's what Paul and Timothy's mission was all about. That's what our mission is about today. So we've got to keep that message pure. We want 100% proof gospel. We don't want to water it down. Uh, we don't want to confuse that message. We can't assume it. Paul was convicted of the truth of the gospel. And so the passage today it tells us why Paul is so convicted. He says, I'm convicted of the truth of the gospel and the fact that we need to defend this truth because it's my life story. Listen to Paul's life story. This is where we're going to be here tonight. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. You can follow along on the screen. Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So there are two things I want to focus on in this passage. Just two things. The first is this. Here's, here's the question. What does Paul's story show us about the power of the gospel to change lives? And second, I want us to look at the example Paul sets for Timothy here and consider the example we ought to set for others as followers of Christ today. And so that first category, what does Paul's story show us about the power of the gospel to change lives? You remember his story. Paul would never have been voted most likely to become a Christian by any of his peers until that encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. And that's, that's not because Paul was a bad guy by any means. It's actually because he was a really good guy according to the standards of the, the dominant religious culture of his age. He was a Pharisee. His, his job 
was to protect and obey the Jewish law. And so he opposed Jesus and his followers out of that desire to keep the Jewish faith pure. He was doing a really good job. He was persecuting these heretics who were breaking Jewish tradition. Jesus, he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. I mean, how could this guy be the Messiah to save the people of Israel? That's what Paul really would have thought. And so Paul, he thought he was defending the truth. He thought he was defending God, but he was really opposing him. And that's when Christ, Christ came to him in the middle of Paul's opposition, his traveling to Damascus to round up Christians and persecute them and imprison them. When God met him and knocked him off his horse, he made him blind so that Paul could finally see the truth that it was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who he was persecuting. And so Paul came face to face with his own sins and errors. Imagine what he must have thought. He must have thought, man, God himself has come to me and like told me I've absolutely screwed up and I've been persecuting his son. Like, if you're a really sincere follower of God, like what's going to be going through your mind when God himself comes to you and he's like, you really botched it up? I'd be like, shoot, I am done for. I'm about to get smited. Like, you would be thinking you're gonna get you're gonna get struck by lightning on the spot. Surely that's what Paul would have thought. But instead of that, it's like you're gonna be the one who spreads my gospel to the Jewish people. Like, what a perfect person to show the way that the gospel can transform a person's life by taking the greatest enemy of the gospel, the greatest opponent of the gospel, and saying, You're the one who I've chosen to make my name great among all the nations. Man, how cool is that? That shows us how powerful the gospel is to transform people. When you look at Paul's story, I love how he says it there in 13. He says, you want to know what the power of the gospel is all about? Look at who I once was, and look at who I am now. That will show you the power of the gospel. Here's another question for you. Have you ever looked back on a time of your life and felt like super embarrassed about who you once were? Um, I need to tell you, there are, there are a lot of people who I went to college with who if they saw me standing before you right now preaching a sermon, they'd be like, that guy? Like, that guy's a pastor? Are you serious? Here's a perfect example. Uh, when I was younger, um, man, I'm probably, I'm probably still sure of this more than I like to think, but when I was in my younger years, I thought I was a pretty big deal, guys. Uh, like I said, I was a runner when I was in college, and I remember one time I was meeting some buddies for a run outside of our dorm on a Sunday afternoon. And so, you know, we're doing our little warm-up in our short shorts and everything, having a grand time. And some guys upstairs in the dorm, they thought it was really funny to take a water balloon and toss it down onto us. And uh, this water balloon splashed in my feet. And I was like, ha-ha, yeah, that's great. So funny. I charged up the stairs of this dorm, opened up the door, the room to this guy's dorm, who I thought the window came out of, and saw him standing there in his church clothes holding water balloons. I grabbed a water balloon out of his hand. I'd never met this kid before in my life. I'd seen him on campus, and I threw the water balloon, like, in his face, slash hit him square in the chest in his church clothes. And I was like, ha ha ha, pretty funny. Uh, guys, I have to tell you, I need to go through some serious experiences to be humble and get over myself. Because I harmed some relationships and made myself look like an absolute tool. Because I took myself way too seriously. I'm sure some of you wouldn't have been friends with me. I can look back. I can look back on moments like that and uh, more moments like that than I would probably care to admit, and just cringe and feel some shame about who I once was. Praise God for His work in my life. I thank Him for His hand of grace and maturing me. All that to say, 
The Apostle Paul had some way worse memories to haunt him. Think of the things that must have been on his mind at different times. Think of the faces of the people he depressed, the words that he said to them, telling them how off they were, how heretical they were. The face of Stephen, the Apostle, being stoned to death as Paul stood on there and said, Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing God's work in stoning Stephen, that heretic who thought Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Man, that's some guilt to walk around with. That's some heavy stuff to work with. Those are some memories to haunt you. But instead of being overwhelmed with guilt and shame because of his past, Paul was able to leave those memories behind him because of the power of the gospel. He didn't hide. He wasn't overwhelmed with shame. He was able to move forward with his life because he had confidence in God's work on his behalf. He believed that because of God's work, God's proclaiming him a new man in Christ, he had confidence that he really was new, that his sin no longer defined him. His identity wasn't in Christ. And so knowing God's unconditional love for him in Christ, look at how it changed him. The new Paul, he was able to be a man of radical humility. He was able to say, I'm the foremost of sinners. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. The new Paul was a man of radical humility. But he was also a man of radical confidence. Look what else he can say. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Think of the things that can run through your mind and say, this is who I am. This is how my sin has made me who I am. This is how those mistakes have made me who I am. No. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can say with Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul writes, God gave me his grace that I might display his perfect patience as an example of what his grace can do. Man, how awesome is that? Let me ask you, have you experienced some of those dynamics of God's grace in your life? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you're feeling radically humbled? Man, that sure hurts, doesn't it? None of us want to be faced with the fact that we are absolutely broken and in need of God's grace. That hurts. It hurts to see ourselves in such a desperate position where we feel like we don't have what it takes on our own. But unless we get to that point, unless we come to the point where we're feeling totally exhausted, totally desperate for God's grace, how are we going to bring our need to Him? What motivation are we going to have to come to Him if we think all we can do is clean ourselves up? If you'll come to God with those burdens, if you'll come to Him with your brokenness and be honest about where you're at, honest where you need to make to be made to do, He will meet you with grace. He's eager to do that. So think about your story. Is there a sin story in your past that can haunt you, can play out on your mind, that can weigh you down and say, this is who you are. This is how the past defines who you are. What, what's it going to take for you to let that go? Will you let the true story of your life in Jesus Christ define who you are? Will you let your new identity in Jesus allow you to move forward? When will you move forward? Will you step out in faith? Will you let God's grace for you in Jesus Christ write a new story over your life? Don't wait any longer. Give those burdens to God. Trust the future with Christ. Trust it to Him. The gospel is powerful to make us new. The second thing I want us to look at here is the example that Paul sets for Timothy. Don't you think it's kind of interesting that Paul, in the beginning of his letter here, would find it necessary to share his story with Timothy once again? I mean, these guys spent years together. I imagine travel in those days, like all across the Mediterranean region and spending time in prison, 
you've got plenty of time for some one-on-one -on -one conversations. You know, my wife and I take a trip to Pittsburgh and we've like addressed everything we have to talk about in our lives by mile three, like hour three. You know, you're digging deep. We're listening to books on tape by the time we get there. You know? And then we, we find plenty more things to talk about. Great year, great conversations. <laughs> but man, these guys spent so much time together. Surely Timothy had heard Paul like preach his story 5,000 times. Surely he heard it in one-on-one -on -one conversation time after time after time. Why did Paul feel it was necessary to repeat it to him again in this letter? I think he shares this story with him again because he knew that Timothy would need to hear it again. He's modeling something to Timothy here. He's showing Timothy through the illustration of his life that the gospel is always going to be at the center of his story. As a young leader in this church, Paul needed to remind Timothy that the gospel of God's grace was his great hope as a leader, and it was the power that would drive everything he did as a leader of this church. The gospel is not just the power of salvation for the believer, it's the entire, it's the power source for the entire Christian life. Paul told Timothy, that's my only boast. Paul's only explanation for his life and the work he was doing was the power of the gospel. So he said, have that same spirit. If you think about Paul's advice, he never says, Timothy, what you need to do is be a Christian stud like me. Like, just get serious about your faith. Like, pursue Christ hard. Like, all those things that are struggle, forget about them. Get serious here. Like, you're a leader for other people now. It's time to live out your beliefs. No. Paul always said, follow me as I follow after Christ. He modeled that humility. He modeled that need. But he also modeled complete confidence that the Spirit would give him what he needed to fulfill the call that God had put him on his life. Defend the truth of the gospel. Defend sound doctrine. Why was that so important to Paul? The gospel was worth defending because Paul knew at the end of the day, the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ was the only thing that would last. It's the only thing of eternal value. It's the only thing that any Christian leader really has to give. When I'm up here preaching, if you're coming here for good advice from Josiah, you're really in a bad place. Like, we would all be in bad trouble. If I walked in on a Sunday morning and said, man, I hope Bob has some good stories from his life experience to tell me, man, I'd be out of luck. Because at the end of the day, we need God's word, which points us to Jesus Christ, his son, our only hope of salvation. The spirit that we receive is a gift of grace that comes into our life that allows us to live with God's wisdom. Man, that's our only hope. The gospel is our only hope. We have to defend that truth and live it out. That's our great hope as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's the example Paul said to Timothy. The gospel was everything to him. And so we had to remind Timothy, as a Christian leader, if you want to lead anybody else, the gospel has got to be first in your own life. Not just your hope for salvation, but your hope for every moment of faith that you live out. And so if you're a believer, Scripture says you've been saved by grace that you might participate in good works that God's prepared in advance for you to do. And I really think that involves being a Christian example in your life, being that kind of example that Paul was to Timothy, that Timothy was called to be to his own church. As followers of Christ, people are to see us as Christ's ambassadors. Christ's ambassadors. They're to look at us and see Jesus. And that's not something we can take lightly. That's a big call on our lives. So let me ask you, what kind of example are you setting in the way that you live?
Let me challenge you. If you want to be an example that makes an eternal impact, be an example of the power of the gospel. Be an example of the power of the gospel. So many times when people talk about setting an example, it's show people what it looks like to be well-behaved, to be self-disciplined, to have a life that really looks presentable, like you have it all together, so other people will say, oh man, look at, look at uh, Johnny Finger. Don't end up like him. Be a good guy like Mark. Listen to your mommy and daddy. Uh, play by the rules. Man, there's so much more to being an example than playing by the rules and getting your, ma your morality straight. I'm not saying that your behavior isn't important. What I am saying is that moral behavior is secondary. The goal of the Christian life is to have a heart that's impacted by the gospel truth to believe in Jesus Christ, to know God's love for you, and to have the Spirit transform you from the inside out. Our behavior is changed by Christ, not by self-discipline. If we want to set an example, don't set an example of the power of self-will. Set an example of the power of the gospel. That looks totally different. A gospel example, what does that look like? It looks like a person who is humble. Because we are broken. We're all broken. Be humble. But a gospel example also looks like someone who is confident because their life is defined by grace and knowledge of the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work in your life, that the Spirit is powerful to transform you. A gospel example is someone who says, I'm broken, and acts with radical humility, and someone who says, I am so confident because God's grace in my life has saved me, and it's propelling me forward. That's the story that defines me and the way that I'm going to live. So think about that. What kind of example are you trying to set? Who are the people in your life that God has called you to be a gospel example to? What are their names? What opportunities are before you? To be a gospel example, maybe that means you're going to find an opportunity to be honest about some of the struggles that you're wrestling with in your life. Say, man... I don't like it, but this is where I'm at. This is something I'm wrestling with. I wish it wasn't so, but I have hope that God is with me in it. I have hope that God's redemption power can be seen in the midst of my struggle, and I'm hoping in Christ in the midst of it. Maybe a gospel example looks like admitting your errors, some ways that you screwed up or wronged someone else, and asking for their forgiveness. You don't have to hide. You've been forgiven by God, but you don't have to hide your errors, your sins against your fellow man. Maybe that's what it looks like, bringing up an area where you need to be forgiven. Maybe it looks like forgiving someone else when you've been holding a grudge against them for a way that they've wronged you. That's a gospel example you can set for someone else. And last, maybe it looks like walking through times of uncertainty where you feel that temptation to squeeze your hands and say, I've got to control this, like I've got to make things work out, like what can I do? If I rest, things could fall apart. Maybe it looks like loosening your hands and saying, you know what? I'm going to trust that God's grace in Jesus Christ is going to be sufficient for me. He saved me. He's not going to let me go. He's writing my story. I'm going to move forward in faith. That's a gospel example. A lot of your peers are going to freak out when things aren't going their way. You can set a gospel example by saying, you know what? I have no idea what's going to happen for me next year either. But I trust that God's grace is going to be sufficient for me and he's writing my story. Man, that's a powerful testimony to the gospel. Those are just a few ways you can do it. Let's be humble. We're all broken. But let's be confident. God's resurrection power is at work in our lives. He's making us new. And his spirit is driving us forward.
Let's follow him. God, we thank you so much for the gospel. I know it's the story of human life, but it's the story of each of our individual lives as well, that um, we're lost. We have a tendency to do things our own way and to make ourselves the center of our own existence. But we thank you that you don't leave us to ourselves, that we won't always be uh, that person throwing water balloons in other people's faces that you convict us of our sin, that your spirit inside of us matures us to make us resemble more who our Heavenly Father is. We thank you for the opportunity to see gospel examples, people in our lives who model character that show us the truth. Brokenness, but hope. We don't have it all together, but we never had to. And it's when we admit our need and come to you that we receive grace through Jesus Christ in whom we have faith. And so God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see who in our lives we can be that kind of example to. It's no accident that you've called us here to IU or to Bloomington, wherever you have us, God, on our teams, in our classes, the places we work, places that seem really mundane and everyday and boring. Uh, they're things that you've orchestrated by your hand, God, that we might make you known. So I pray that you would show us how we can be an example of the power of the gospel. That we would know how deep your love is for us, that that would get to our hearts, that it would get to our minds, and that we would be able to show people what happens when we submit our lives to you. And so we pray that as we sing this song together, you would just um, open our eyes to trust you, work in our hearts to follow you more closely, God, and to know the depth of your love.